Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research 97. You just heard the intro to Disembowelment's Morning September demo of 1990. This is the one and only subject of this episode, and I welcome Hunter again once again. Hello, Hunter. Hello, Mr. Wagner. Disembowelment fans since what year? I think 19... So I actually got into <laughs> Disembowelment and Trial of the Bow at the same time. Oh. Um, so I, 96. All right. Yep. Ornamentation and then got, actually got ornamentation first. And then like three weeks later because of, and I got into that because of, uh, Chris Dick and Mark Rudolph, the great Requiem yep. and found out about the disembowelment tie-in, got disembowelments transcendence from relapse, like, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks later. And so, yeah. So I guess about a quarter of a century. Yeah. Amazing. Me and yep. Me 1994 when I got a promo of transcendence from relapse. Were you at relapse at the time? Or no, right right before I got to relapse uh, mm -hmm. or maybe it might, no, you know what? It was a year before. Cause I got it in like whenever 93, whenever it came out. Okay. All so right. 93. And um, as we'll talk throughout this discography, exercise because it really is just the discography it's it's basically I, i've kind of whittled it down to 12 songs disembowelment only ever had 12 songs in their career which is mind-blowing but if you're a fan at all or if you're familiar already you know that there's a lot that go into these songs and you know years and years of basking in the heaviness and getting new things out of it every time I, for, for me transcendence is one of those albums where i sit down with it i know i'm going to be going on a familiar journey but one that yeah. will offer me some new things no, it's definitely one of the, yeah, I mean, a truly extraordinary band. And I would say, and I think you would agree, this is probably the single heaviest episode of uh, Radical Research to date. Well, simply because it's, I, I mean, I'll, I, at times I will put them up on the mountaintop of the heaviest band of all time. Yeah, it's insane. From what my... And, and it's like, a, yeah, yeah, it's a physical heaviness and also uh, kind of psychic heaviness. Um, Ooh, psychic heaviness other otherworldly stuff man i like psychic heaviness i know what you mean by that yeah. um well let's roll into the morning september demo 1990 this is a young disembowelment we will hear a really raw disembowelment much rawer than the stuff that we prefer but uh this stuff's important we're gonna listen to two songs from the morning september demo this is impoverished filth and thou messiah Thank you. 
filthy death metal. The filthiest. I mean, you think about how much of that stuff is really popular now. And I think <laughs> a lot of people, you know, think it's almost exclusively tied to incantation or I don't know, the autopsy. Yeah. But man, the stuff's right up there with it. And they loved autopsy. And yeah. I, in fact, I remember an interview one time with Renato. And I think he said that his two favorite bands were Autopsy and Pink Floyd. Now that, I'm not going to dispute that, Alchemist. that, but don't you remember that Alchemist? Yeah, I was just going to say, Alchemist said that their music was a cross of their two biggest influences, Autopsy and Pink Floyd. <laughs> maybe they, I, maybe they're both, or maybe my old brain is just tying the two. I can um, see Renato Galino both loving both yeah. bands. I mean, yeah. why not, right? And they're both Australian. And they're both, yeah, I mean, Autopsy, huge in Australia. <laughs> or maybe, you know, maybe if you think about them, and we've talked about this probably before privately and on this podcast, but like Autopsy was not as appreciated then as they are now. Oh, and, absolutely. And not. perhaps this was a pocket like in Sweden where Autopsy was actually really well appreciated by yeah. metal fans, you know, wanting that next extreme or next level. Yeah. And I, I think they were, you know, like the more sound, sound, you know, it was so dom dominant here. It was that cleaner, you know, more technically precise sound and maybe in other parts of the world, mm. uh, that smearier, more interred sound resonated more. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they're young kids. They're coming up with Autopsy, with, you know, guys in Incantation who were listening and playing the stuff around the same time. It's just that, you know, Disembowelment's demo is just came out right at the very beginnings of the 90s. And of course, they were working on this stuff in the 80s. So they go back that far. They're related to a lot of bands from Australia that were really plunging the depths of the really left field extremities at the time. Bacteria is a, is a band that they had formed before this. They also have relations with Vaudeville by family. Uh, the great progressive metal band and I, you know, Renato has done artwork for them. Uh, yep. Necrotomy, they've had uh, members that were also in Necrotomy and, and Scum, this Napalm Death cover band and Abremelin. So they kind of come out of that world yet. I've always thought of Disembowelment, especially with Transcendence, the album, that they are completely and utterly their own island. Nothing else like them, nothing touches them. It's just, they carve that out, but we have to remember that they are human after all. Yeah, but they 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 really are, you know, isolated in their their brilliance. There's an early picture that shows them wearing mortician, grave, and nausea shirts, and that tracks. No, oh, absolutely, it does. Absolutely, and I mean, there's, well, you know, I mean, the, I guess the lines were more permeable back then. You know, things weren't so compartmentalized, so you could listen to nausea, and you could listen to mortician, and I mean, sort of appreciate the similarities. Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about Morning September real quick before moving on. Um, there's an intro and an outro, three main songs. We played Impoverished Filth and Thou Messiah. Uh, there's a third track called Extracted Nails, which in Disembowelment's history is, I think, a really interesting one. It was first featured on this demo, of course. Then an updated version was recorded in 91 that made it to the 1992 compilation, Pentalgia. Great compilation. We both own it. Features also Panthimonium say no more, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we will say more. Cenotaph from Mexico, God Macabre, uh, Rotrevor, uh, Cadaver, Therion, a couple others, and, and the Curious Hider Hider, which just deserves a little side mention. Um, this is a, a Norwegian band 
what's his name? Anders Auden, Anders Auden from Cadaver was in this band. And Johan Leva of Carnage Furball Arch Enemy came over from Sweden to record with them for this very short-lived band. But they're they're an interesting band. H-Y-D-R, H-Y-D-R. Uh, the final version- of I, I don't know that I'll ever have a chance to mention this again, so I will now. But I would recommend anyone who doesn't know Cenotaphs writing our Black Oceans to check that out. More so than Gloomy Reflections. Yeah, I like it more than Gloomy Reflections. Okay. Um, I guess that's a that's a recommendation to me as well because I I don't know that second album as well. A really cool record. I better I better circle around to that, huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, mean, you, I thought you were going to say you wanted to mention the name Furball again uh, because that came up. So you can say Furball a few times if you like right now. Furball. Furball. Great name. Isn't it Furb Owl? I don't know, man. Furb Furb Owl. Furb Owl. Owl. <laughs> Anywho, food burl. For all the uh for the one listener that hasn't forgot about extracting nails and what I was saying, um, it appears on the band's 1993 album as Excoriate, you know, the, the great transcendence album. So this this is their most recorded and mutated song over the years. Their amazed disgrace. It is their amazed disgrace. Yeah. Let's see how many three fans are out there. We're gonna play the extracted nails Pentalgia version now. Uh, and we also play the album version, you know, called Excoriate. I think they're distinctive enough from one to the other. So here we go with Extract and Nails' second version. <laughs> hearing in this track is disembowelment becoming disembowelment and, and in particular uh their very signature guitar tone and Stephen O'Malley actually made uh who he's a huge disembowelment fan but made 
a great deal about their guitar tone. They're very solid state versus tube amp guitar tone. Kind of <laughs> yeah. fizzy, like fragile is not the word, but it doesn't have, it, it's just cold and severe in a way that, you know, it's not the norm with that kind of analog fetishism that you find in really heavy doom oriented music normally. Yeah, I, I I've always loved the guitar sound, and you you make great points, and so does Stephen. Well, the stuff I've read and they're, they're all his points. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, but but you 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 know you're on board with those because yeah you know, yeah I am, and I get it as well. I, it's a guitar sound that is it's one of a kind. It it has sometimes reminded me of an even more kind of blown out, even more solid statey Massacre's first album. Ooh, yeah, you know that just I always liken it to like a, like a and I don't want to degrade it, but like a vacuum cleaner or, um, you know, what Rock <laughs> yeah, Moore got pegged with that tractor, tractor pole sound. It's just this really weird, blown out, phasey, fuzzy thing. It's, it's alien, you know, it just it doesn't. Is. It is. And it like, and I, I love that about it because it, it makes the sound even more personal. Yeah. And you can liken it to a, a number of drone acts or noise acts or, maybe not so much the solid state part, but certainly early Melvin's sometimes has this guitar tone that is just mammoth in the weirdest way. Mm -hmm. And I guess that I liken the disembowelment tone to that, but yeah, man, um, this version of <laughs> extracted nails is incredible. They had a couple lineup shifts over the years, but this was always, uh, it was always Renato Galena and uh, Paul Maziata on drums. And then eventually Jason Kells came in on guitars in 91 and then Matthew Scarajew on bass in 92. That would form the classic lineup that created Transcendence. Before we get to Transcendence, there's this great demo from 91 called Deep Sensory Procession into Oral Fate. You got to love the title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. This is when they introduced what I call the 4AD aesthetic that they had and that they owned mm -hmm. and that they, I think, rightfully copped. I'm not saying that this was the exact idea for like the lowercase d with the dot and the, the kind of stark or arty presentation they'd have going forward, but it does remind of 4AD, no? Oh, of course it does. And I mean, it is, it, it is arty and I love that about it. Yeah, no, yeah, no. And, and I mean, I love, yeah. you know, you and I are not the biggest fans of, uh, you know, stylized logos, um, <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I just love that aspirational quality of, you know, of a band like it, 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 this age, that's already sort of showing, you know, ambitions beyond just the normal, you know, gore tropes. Oh, totally. Human got death kind of in the artier area in 91. Well, so did Disembowelment, and they took it even further. Yep. Uh, I think for aesthetics and just the, this kind of different or more cosmopolitan sort of approach, for lack of a much better word, I feel like they did it first or or best anyway. Aesthetics are important to us. The music has to be there first, 100%. But if you can put on top of that something great versus something really corny, give it to us. <laughs> well, and yeah, because it draws us further into that world. Yes. And and even the band's look, the band's look at this time started to change, you know, some some nice mm -hmm. collared silky looking shirts or 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 um kind of dressy shirts, white. I don't mind a I don't mind a, you know, band that and afraid to dress up, you know? Hell no. Go to gym, <laughs> dress you know? up. Yeah. <laughs> Sunday best. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. 
No, but they they looked cool. They looked different. They looked like again that they were just out of time and out of their scene completely. Uh, yeah, you look at the um, if you look at the that promo picture that's on Metal Archives uh, in, in particular. I mean, they they do look different, and yes. they don't necessarily look like different in a like a rebellious way. They just look like guys that like are vibrating at a different pitch. Yes. Yeah. Know, and it, it seems very natural. It doesn't, I don't know, to me, it, it doesn't seem self-consciously, you know, arty or apart from metal. It's like, we love metal, but we're, you know, we're artists of our own sort. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better. And, and this gets us into deep sensory procession into oral fate, the 91 demo. A few words on this before we sample a couple things. It's where the disembowelment discography comes a little bit confusing if you're not on your toes, because the first of two songs on this 26-minute demo is called River of Salvation. It was split into two parts or subtitles, My Divine Punishment and The Tree of Life and Death. The latter part, The Tree of Life and Death, was featured as that song title in the band's album, Transcendence, in a newer version which leaves the My Divine Punishment part of River of Salvation kind of exclusive to this demo. That's what we're going to play first here. And then Burial at Ornans was slightly retitled for the album as A Burial of Ornans. Hmm. I know. I'm getting... Uh... <laughs> what was that movie? High Fidelity? Or high? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. No, High Fidelity. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm getting yeah, too high so you're, you're, you're having a Cusack moment. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, But, it, but it, it carries its own subtitle on the demo, uh, which is this distinctive coda at the end called As Your Soul Befalls. We're going to play As Your Soul Befalls uh, because we'll play the better version of Burial in a minute. And then we're going to talk about the Dusk EP and how that gets even more confusing in regard to this demo and era. And and I mean, confusing for a band that's got 12 songs to its name. <laughs> I know, well. It's pretty impressive. Leave it to disembowelment to completely yeah. fuck you up in every single area. <laughs> things you never even thought of.
So some of the more ambient elements of the deep sensory procession demo pulled out like that for the reasons we explained earlier. Certainly some of the kids or young men that were forming or soon to form key black metal bands at this time were listening to disembowelment because I think those little snippets just show this attention to sound and aesthetic as much as song. Like was Thorns listening? You know, right. Were were the guys in Burzum and Emperor listening? Uh, because th this guitar tone gets into that world as well, certainly on those little snippets we just listened to. Yeah, I mean, and in a lot of ways, I feel like this has a lot more to do with black metal approach to guitar writing and to atmosphere than it does, you know, death metal at the time. Yeah, I, I think they were one of those that almost unconsciously by this point were straddling that line between black, death, and even doom. They really just kind of brought all of this stuff that had its origins in the 80s into the 90s. and. Yep. And did some amazing things with it. Some really original things as well. Because uh, now you hear, now I, if, if somebody says, oh, this great band from Pittsburgh plays a mix of Black Death and Doom. I'm like, yawn. <laughs> no one would Pittsburgh. hear that in like 99 either. Yeah, know? right. It just, it, uh, and just the way that Disembowelment has done it, the way they've crafted it and just kind of, kind of sculpted these things. Uh, very different than, I guess, what we might imagine uh, a later <laughs> Death Doom Black Band doing from Pittsburgh or wherever else. Nothing against Pittsburgh, of course. Yeah, no, we, yay, we love you, Pittsburgh. Hey, hey, man. Hey, we're, I mean, we're in, in, wasn't Rochevore from Pittsburgh? Or yeah, around that area. Uh -huh. Yeah, so, all right, see? Another uh, Pantalgia uh, connection. There we go. So anyway, these two songs from the Deep Sensory Procession demo were released later that year in 91 on the Dusky P, which is the first thing that uh, Relapse uh, put out by the band. The third song on the Dusky P was a newer recording called Cerulean Transients of All My Imagined Shores, which if you can imagine a festival crowd chanting that in Germany, Cerulean Transients of All My Imagined Shores, Cerulean, you know, I'd like to hear that someday. Well, hey, hey, Prophecy Fest might be a, um, a chant. Maybe the only place. <laughs> uh, we'll get that sucker started. We'll get that chant started. But anyway, that Cerulean ended up on the album. So the only reason we're not playing anything from Dusk is because these three songs feature elsewhere, basically, either in original or better versions. And that brings us to the album, Transcendence Into the Peripheral. Have I glossed over Dusk too much? I feel like a lot of people reference Dusk, but they're actually referencing Deep Sensory and then a piece of Transcendence. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I don't think so, because I, I mean, I really think that we're uh, we're here for Transcendence. We are. I mean, I, I, I mean, it, in in you know, like you said earlier, and I'm, I know you made this point. Like, the other stuff is super important, and it's a part of the whole story. But we're here to really talk about one of the most singular and and I think you know, in our little universe, one of the most important extreme metal records ever. No, no question, no question. I've been hooked since I heard it. I I remember how astounded I was when I first heard it. A couple of the things that got me were certainly the non-metal elements. Some of these, uh, I, I just don't know how to describe it, but I, I'll just go back to 4AD or something like Dead Can Dance. There was this this element in there somewhere tucked in, but it was significant enough that it kind of floored me. And then the moments that this band, I think Spirits of the Tall Hills does it best, but th when they are striking a chord that lasts forever, mm -hmm. uh, and, and then underneath that, they tuck in a blast. And it just, <laughs> I remember that just, I never heard that before. And there was just that the contrast. Yeah. Yeah. It really did something in my brain. 
and I liked it. And I, it was like, you know, music is the best drug, of course. And it really just fired some synapses maybe that hadn't been fired before. So that those are only two impressions of this album. You have many more. I have many more. We're going to listen to much of it in snippet form. So yeah, the great transcendence in the peripheral. What can we say? This is uh, the lead off track, the tree of life and death. Okay, so the heaviest and the darkest thing that we have ever featured on Radical Research. Again, because the, they're the, one of the heaviest and darkest bands of all time. I mean, listen to that. Just listen. Yeah, and, and also one of the most psychedelic. Yes. Um, I mean, this stuff, like, it's, I mean, this is some of the most transportative metal of all time. Like, these guys, you know, and, like, I try not to make too much of this kind of thing, like, this sort of, like, extra musical environmental isolated theory because I, I find it um but tedious frankly um but like it makes some sense to me that a band like this would have to operate somewhere as remotely as australia um maybe out of the glare of or the distraction of some sort of you know highly active international metal scene and just really be tucked into their own private world in order to come up with music 
like this. Yeah, I, I'm with you on on how you generally think of dissecting things in this way. However, I, I think you're onto something. My mind would make the leap from that then to, um, I want to say boredom with the death metal scene that they came up in, but mm -hmm. certainly I think maturing as listeners and musicians probably uh, uh, quite a bit ahead of other peers of theirs. I think that you're pro I think that what you're saying is almost certainly closer to the mark and maybe a slight combination of the two with more of it being tilted to what you're saying, because okay. yeah, well, but in, in, if you think about it, I mean, and, and this just, I think goes to confirm what you're saying. It's like, Think about how quickly they disbanded after this record, like Cynic, another yeah. band that was, you know, clearly disenchanted with metal and interested in doing other things, and how quickly they, you know, um, Renato and and Matthew Scarejew moved over to Trial of the Bow. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I think you're right. I I, I think that I, I have created this um, mythology of disembowelment in my own head, and. Right. That their isolation is in Australia is a part of that. And I'm just trying to preserve that somehow. Well, I like that too. I mean, just because <laughs> it's the sound of isolation in a lot of ways, it's frightful, it's psychedelic, it's meditative. It's all of that. It's a lot. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's meta. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's like horrifying and meditative at the same. How many, two, how many bands could balance those two incongruities and do it with the kind of elegance that disembowelment does man i think that's another uh, yeah well true it's it's one of the reasons i was attracted to them in the first place and still am but it also is another parallel i think to to really repetitive or, or hypnotic black metal they they do yep. they do dip in there one thing about this album too and we're, we're going to get back to we're going to get back to it with the second song here but just pay attention to especially if you have a good system and you're listening to these crappy MP3s on this crap. <laughs> but, you know, if you can just get a glean, a sense of the, the sound, the recording, the production of this album, it's also a huge element as to why we love this album so much. It just, it sounds exactly as it should. Everything sounds perfect as it should. Yep. They just captured something. And, and there's a, um, I love the drum sound too. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and I like the way it mixes or I should say stands apart a little bit from the guitar sound. Everything's pretty clear and in, it kind of in its own lane, but you know, certainly unified as well. It's just, it's beguiling the whole thing. The whole project comes together and the band were really happy with it when it came out. And I think part of the reason they did break up was they just didn't think they could top it. They were like, well, we did what we were trying to do the whole time. Here we go. Let's do something. Well, else. Yeah. This is the second song from the album, Your Prophetic Throne of Ivory.
this is the one for me. This is the thing that I guess convinced me of this album's total greatness. And I don't know, uh, you know, there's been a lot of metal, you know, probably since <laughs> Queensryche and Crimson Glory that uh, in Fate's Warning that's found inventive ways of uh, mixing, you know, clean and acoustic or and distorted guitars. Mm. I've never heard any band do it quite the way that Disembowelment does it on this <laughs> song. To me, the contrast is the striking thing. The contrast between the clean and and the filthy, and, and also the just the quality and the um, the character of the the melodies themselves. I mean, this is some like really sophisticated shit. This is when I heard, you know, especially I remember the first time I heard this album. This is when I heard Dead Can Dance. I had just yeah. been introduced to Dead Can Dance and I kind of knew what they were about. And this is the one song, this is probably the most progressive disembowelment song, which is, uh, you know, relative to their other. Maybe, maybe it shouldn't be a surprise that this is my favorite disembowelment song. Yeah. I, and, it, and I think it, it's it also really the one. Like It sounds like a, a caravan of warlocks walking yeah. out into the desert to perform a ritual. Under dusk. It has to under be. Du under yes. dusk. Yes. You know, it's like they're walking crazy. out there, you know, in the yeah, in the in the heat and the glaze of the midday sun in order to perform this sacred ritual at dusk. Dude, I love that. Mirages and illusions flying about and all manner of nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. This song also points to where they may have gone on a second album. I feel mm -hmm. like this is the leaping off point for what could have been. It is. And you can, I mean, you can hear like, like an ornamentation. I mean, you, a lot of those melodies are directly attributable to, to this aspect of disembowelment. You know, it's like um, you, you said one time that Kirabujan was pantheimonium with all the grind sucked out of it. Yeah. Like uh, ornamentation is a lot of transcendence with all the metal sucked out of it now hold on sports fan hold on sports fan for tracy in wisconsin who might not know what you're saying when you say ornamentation we have to mention that that's oh, trial, trial of the bows album but you know the the sports fan can get ahead of himself sometimes <laughs> <laughs> so no but you're, you're talking yes, about so, yeah. so trial yeah so ornamentation was the um the original your the debut ep I guess it was it was four songs that came out on relapse release in 1996 and then was I pretty swiftly followed up with a full-length album a year later that I that I think personally is um it's called Rites of Passage and I, I think that it is significantly inferior to, to ornamentation you um, know I was uh with relapse at the time or very close at least for ornamentation I know that I know I had some dealings with Renato but I remember when Rites of Passage came out and I wasn't a huge fan of ornamentation. I know I've told you before that I think there's an out-of-tune flute on there somewhere. Um, there is on the second track. This doesn't sound good. But, there, but um, and I've heard someone say, oh no, it's microtonal. Man, it, that might be, um, but it doesn't sound very good. Understood. And I know you love it. And then Rites of Passage, yeah. There was something kind of um, uninspired feeling about it that, I wouldn't say about ornamentation. Ornamentation was. Oh, dude, I think ornamentation inspired. is like wall to wall amazing. Yeah. I, yeah, I still yeah. listen to it like 
pretty frequently. Yeah, no, I know. So yeah, it just, it does make you wonder what could have been because of that, because of where they, two of the guys did go because of prophetic throne of ivory. We want to get to excoriate uh, the song we played earlier as extracted nails an earlier version. But um, before we do any significance to this being a 1993 album for you, like in your, <laughs> you know, we know what you I mean. Not, not it, no, no, no. Um, because one, I, I didn't discover it in 1993 and you know, like typically when I think about 1993, it's about a, the whole other thing, but like this falls into the, you know, the 1993 maybe of like Sleestack and all those other amazing progressive things that were going on at the time. Sleestack by old. By old. Sorry, sports fan, just not providing the context <laughs> today. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you, you never know. Yeah. Tracy but, Wisconsin uh, may not know yeah, this stuff. Yeah. Tra well, tra uh, apologies, Tracy. I hope that you can forgive me. Um, <laughs> But yeah, but I'm you know in it in its own way. I mean, it falls right into the I guess the zeitgeist of 1993, and because as you and I have talked about on the show, one of the extraordinary things about that time in metal was you know bands that were starting to listen to other kinds of music and fold in those things um, into you know a, a metal framework, and and I, I mean this is clearly you know a case of this. I mean these guys are clearly. Um, interested in in all sorts of things psychedelic uh rock post-punk um i mean deck and dance is uh you know a, a great example of um a lot of different kinds of traditions you know intersecting in in one place so deck yep. and dance is kind of like a buffet for like uh metal bands that want to get into a lot of different kind of things and don't necessarily need to do all the legwork yeah <laughs> like, I'm, well, you buy, I remember, like, the first three dead can dance records and you get a whole lot of shit in one place right you don't have to listen to what dead can dance's influences all were which would be like a lifetime of listening no doubt you can just yeah you kind of have the distilled version in dead can dance right is that what I, and, and uh, i mean honestly like yeah doing you know listening to the you know the source work is probably a lot less fun than listening to dick and dance <laughs> right well I, I remember paradise lost being one of the first bands to name drop dead can dance as an influence they were yeah I, yeah i and um it's funny because i um I, so i was a little i was a little, i didn't get into gothic when it came out i um i guess shades of god was probably my first paradise lost record but um my dying bride was the first band that i remember listening to or or citing dead can dance i i suspect yep. that yep. you know uh, the the whole of the peaceville three was probably pretty enamored of dead can dance uh, oh, though yeah. i remember anathema talking about them but i'm i'm sure that you know they were on their radar those yeah those records are in some of those collections no there's no question yep. okay let's move on to excoriate from transcendence 1993 this of course is the long mutated long mutating extracted nails
I have heard over the years, some people kind of talking about disembowelment as proto funeral doom or some, some level of funeral doom or earliness somehow. But I, I just, I just think there's too much going on. I don't think they're a Thurgathon. Thurgathon is early funeral doom. I don't, I've never really liked comparing disembowelment to whatever that scene means to everybody. I feel the same way about unholy actually. Okay. Um, and I don't mean to take us off track, but I, I it, but I agree, um, because I, I have tried and tried. I've tried esoteric. I've tried mm. uh, shape of despair. What about skepticism. I, yeah, um, skepticism. Skepticism is like the most boring thing ever. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, you know, and I mean, on paper we love. I'm them. sure. I'm sure their you know their moms love them, um, but. Yeah, and 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 Thurgathon got really great when they changed their name to this empty flow, and mm. put out uh, Magenta Skycoat, which I love. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it, yeah, to your point, and again, sorry for you know. No, no, a, sorry, I, I don't interrupt, but I'm laughing because possibly the world's only this empty flow reference in a podcast being recorded on the globe today. Go ahead. <laughs> that's you know what, man. That's a damn shame. <laughs> well i know but you know but, but yeah there, there's just the thing about funeral doom that i just don't get i i guess is like and i get I, I get you know spacious ambient music and that sort of thing but like anyway it, it's not really necessarily about my feelings on funeral doom but it's more about what you said like there's just too much going on here. It's it's not boring at all. It's incredibly engaging. It's really it might be slow for the most part. I mean, sometimes, like you said, they sneak in a <laughs> really devastating blast beat. Yeah, uh, but but there's a lot. There's just a ton of ideas at play all the time in this music. Yeah, yeah, and we get to the middle of the album and we see that even more. They expand the scope a little bit with uh, the two and a half minute Night Side of Eden. We're going to listen to about two minutes of that and then go into a burial at Ornans, which I believe is the longest, yep, longest song on the album at 14 and a half minutes. Yep. We're going to play a mere two and a half to three. So, um, so but if you don't own it, buy the album. Seriously. We're, Come we're, on. We're, just, we're like, we're, yeah, we're just, you know, dangling the carrot right now. But yep, yep. Got ninety three percent of metal archives, twenty reviews. That should speak for itself. If if, if we don't, or nobody else has. All right, this is Nightside of Eden and Burial at Ornans, or excuse me, Ah Burial at Ah, yeah, not to be confused with Burial at Ornans, or if you prefer the other pronunciation, the alternate pronunciation, A Burial at Ornans. (laughs) Where Where is Ornans? I feel like I should. We should probably know that. Why don't you get radical and research it while we listen? Okay, we'll do.
Right. We have a few things to say about that and Nightside. Nightside clearly kind of a segue or, or a midpoint in the album that completely lets go of the metal. And again, a very telling thing about where these guys' heads were at at this point. And then a burial. Uh, I'll let you work on the pronunciation there, Hunter. But um, I've always loved these lyrics. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to do a terrible job of rereading them for everyone. So I just urge everybody to just kind of read through them. They're a really good example of how this band also operated on a really high level lyrically, mm. but it does bring to mind something you have just researched for us. So um, it really mirrors the painting uh, in question. So it's all you, Hunter, you've, you've been radical with your research. while we I, I, Not, not sufficiently radical. Otherwise I would have actually uncovered this uh, for myself at, for radical research before we actually got into the podcast. This is a rare moment of radical negligence uh, <laughs> rather than research, but the- uh, We might as well just change the whole name of the podcast. To radical, radical negligence. Yeah, that, we'll then, then at least- we'll just, yeah, we can we'll just show ignorant. up and like, fuck it. Who gives a shit? Exactly. We can, we can be, use be ignorant and people, yeah. people will not have felt that they were like sold something else. You know? Yeah, right. We don't right. care. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, so the title of the song and the what we what was previously known on this podcast as Ornans um, is pronounced Ornan. And again, I'll let Gail uh, get into the uh, you know the weeds with me on on how I butchered that. But I feel like we're a little better at French than we are at Norwegian. Um, so uh, Burial at Ornan, which is a mid-19th century painting by Gustave Courbet. And I, I would urge, and maybe we can link this on the uh, the website, because it, it really is a pretty striking painting. Just the, the colors and the sadness of it. And also there is this, in the, the distance is uh, an image of a crucified Christ. And then this really, really hopeless looking hole in the ground where someone who's not named is being buried. Yeah, one line from the song might help with this vision. A black specter is sent downwards instead, lowered downwards into damned soil. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, this looks pretty, uh, yeah, pretty wretched. It's grim. It is. Yeah. Wow. Um, good research, you you radical short stack, you. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to move on. We're going to listen to two songs that end the album. This glorious 20 minutes uh, <laughs> that ends this album. More highlights, more just greatness. I mean, a lot of hyperbole this episode, but it couldn't have been otherwise. Mm -mm. This is bits of Spirits of the Tall Hills and Cerulean Transients of All My Imagined Shores.
we we have talked about black metal quite a few times on this episode cerulean transience really drives that point home mm-hmm. it gets into a, a a kind of black metal that goes well beyond black metal that is that is some of the darkest most unsettling metal that has ever been featured on this podcast and is some of the most uh in that regard any metal that i know of and two this occurred to me while we were listening to it because i kept trying to think of things that might have inspired it instead of things that it inspired but i've really never put together the influence that this band must have had on maudlin of the well until oh yeah yeah, as much as early My Dying Bride influenced Maudlin, this had I, to be there. This just I just never, I don't know how, I never put that together, but listening to it now, I was like, wow, yep, it's there. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and it's funny because yet, because it's always a yet with this embalmment and this wonderful piece of musical art, and I know that's more hyperbole and fluffy, but God, I love this. I mean, I really, it's no, just, no, I mean, it's so no, high up on, on the list uh, of greatness. And, um, but, but, but what I was going to say was like the yet here is that yet it's not black metal in any way. I mean, because okay. they're, they're addressing things lyrically that seem to lie far outside of it. Take this lyric from Cerulean Transience. I cannot move, nor do I need to, for it is enough to lie on the cliff and become entrapped in a world of escapism and peace. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. Amazing. So thank you, Renato, Matt, Paul, and Jason. These four guys created a very, very special piece of music. One of the greatest things, not only on Relapse, but I'll say it, ever released by anybody. Yep. I will co-sign that. Thank you for enduring our hyperbole. One mention we, well, two two mentions here. One disembowelment related that and that's dusk uh this band that turned into inverloke later had two members had paul and matt from this era of disembowelment transcendence era and i saw them at roadburn in 2012 and they played transcendence and it was wonderful so check them out if you're curious to what might have been check out trial of the bow frustratingly there hasn't been another album by this core of people who quite matches transcendence but then maybe that's uh just wishful thinking and an impossibility. I, I don't know. Again, thanks for listening. You know where to find us. This is all disembowelment all the time on this episode, but we do want to mention episode 98 before we let you go. It's going to be my 10 favorite things about the Meads of Asphodel. And then Hunter's just going to have to listen and talk to me through this uh, uh, this obsession I'm having with this band who I've just discovered, <laughs> basically. I knew about them, but I'm I'm becoming a huge fan. And um, we're just going to have fun. And I've, I've got 10 things on my phone notes already just different aspects of the meads of asphodel that we'll um we'll visit and have fun talking about i can't wait to get into it uh about these guys with you hunter because it's a band we love and something we haven't really talked about much at all so it'll be kind of new for us too it will be indeed yeah so we're gonna let you go with the outro for morning september this is more disembowelment and thanks again for listening we'll see you next time